Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we'll be talking about Murder to a Jazz Beat, Season 1, Episode 14, first aired February 2nd, 1985. The IMDb summary reads, a trip to New Orleans gets off to an eventful start when the leader of a popular jazz band is poisoned during a performance. This one is a good one. We down in New Orleans. (laughs) So the first scene, we are in a taxi cab with Jessica and the driver is Lafayette. He is the best type of cab driver. He knows everything, he's respectful, and he's willing to be a tour guide for free. Well, of course, for tips, but (laughs) basically for free to turn off the meter and take you everywhere around New Orleans. Now, that is what I am talking about. Friendly, really gracious. I wish he had the opportunity to actually go on one of his tours because, you know, he knows the best places to eat and all of that, too. But... She says she's supposed to be on New Orleans today in about six minutes. Her plane was late, so she's in a hurry. So Lafayette puts the pedal to the metal and gets her there with a minute to spare. He also agrees to drop her luggage off at her hotel. Just amazing. Not realistic, that part, but amazing nonetheless. (laughs) So she comes in and... No one's there. There's no audience. And she's looking for Jonathan. And my question is, why didn't she call him from the airport? Like, I understand her plane was late, but she didn't even attempt to call him. This could have all been resolved had she called from the airport before she had Lafayette put the pedal to the metal and speed through New Orleans to get her to the studio on time. Jonathan comes out of somewhere And he's like, you're two days early. Now, honestly, Jessica needs an assistant at this point. She is very famous and very popular and has a lot of events. She needs an assistant because she transposed the two dates and she's actually supposed to be, she said, I'm supposed to be dedicating a new school library 40 minutes ago. (laughs) Like, So she completely missed it. Who knows where the school was where she was dedicating the library, whether it was back in Cabot Cove or someplace else, because she's world renowned. It could have been anywhere, to be honest. Jonathan offers to take her on a tour of New Orleans, show her a few places, show her where to eat. Now, no disrespect, Jonathan, but as an Englishman showing her around New Orleans, I would much rather have Lafayette do it. Uh, yeah, no offense, sorry, not sorry, actually. So the next scene, we are in the French Quarter of New Orleans, and we're at Le Poulain Rouge, or Poulet Rouge. Sorry, I didn't take French, I took Spanish, but I think that's how you pronounce it, one of the two. And we meet Eddie. Now, Eddie is Ben's friend and assistant, But my question is, why does Eddie have to get Ben's coffee? He takes his coffee black, so there's no special mixture of cream or milk or sugar. 
or sugar substitute, you know, no judgment, that it would be required for his friend slash assistant to go and get it. Why wouldn't a waiter be bringing hot coffee to Ben? They're at a restaurant. So that was a little strange to me, but really kind of spotlights the fact that Eddie will go out of his way to help for Ben, right? And mm, Ben really will meet him, but Ben really isn't willing to do that. But Eddie definitely will go out of his way to make sure that Ben is happy because he said, I have to get this coffee to Ben while it's still hot. He likes his coffee hot. Um, so he seemed a little bit scared and there's a few scenes where he is anxious or nervous um, that he's going to get something wrong with regard to Ben, which is a little sad. So we then meet Ben Coleman. And he is a band leader at, of a quintet. So there are five musicians. So there's Ben, who plays saxophone and the clarinet. There is uh, Jimmy, Heck, and Ubi, Ubi, Ubi. The three of them, Ubi plays the bass, the standing bass. I think Heck is the one who plays the drums. Then you have Jimmy, who plays the trumpet or trombone. Like there, there's a trombone player, a trumpet player, a drummer, a bass player. And then you have Callie on the piano, but I don't think she's considered part of the band because then it would be a sextet, right? It would be a six-piece band at that point. And we find out that the that Ben Coleman is taking his show on the road. He is getting, I'm assuming it's a residency in Las Vegas. And we also see him hugged up on Lisa. And based on the way that Eddie looks at her when she leaves, it's a sense of disgust and embarrassment. We find out later that Ben is married to Callie, who is the piano player for the Ben Coleman uh, group band. So very awkward. And we find out that they are all close, meaning Eddie, Ben, and Callie are all close. And they've all been part of this band, um, Eddie being an assistant, but the rest of them actually musician, actual musicians for 16 years. Okay. So Eddie has a loyalty to Callie, the wife, who we will meet soon. But Lisa is like the worst, well, she's not the worst type of person. There's somebody else who's even worse than her. But it's like, listen, he has a whole wife. He is known all throughout New Orleans. His wife is known all throughout New Orleans. The fact that they're married is known all throughout New Orleans. And you're here in public, all on his arm, Girl, he gonna change you just like he did all the others before you. You're not the first and you definitely won't be the last. Okay, thank you. Keep it moving, ma'am. You should be ashamed of yourself. Anyway, so <laughs> then while we're at this table, um, Ben does finally drink his coffee because Eddie's like, please drink it before it gets cold and then I get in trouble. He does. 
he nods his head that it's good so Eddie can relax just a tiny bit. And we find out that Ben is dropping his band. So three, two of the members, I believe it's Heck and Ubi, are there to confront him at this restaurant. Now, he, Ben is dropping them because when he goes to Vegas, he said that they want a new sound, which doesn't necessarily make sense to me. So we find out that Vegas, like I said, wanted a new sound, which doesn't make sense because New Orleans has, New Orleans jazz has a very specific range of sounds that are amazing. If you love jazz, New Orleans jazz is amazing. But it's a specific type of sound where you can clearly pinpoint that it is New Orleans jazz, uh, as opposed to your standard jazz. What is he going to do in Vegas? He's getting a whole new band that does not know um, his quirks, does not know his directions, does not know his personality, doesn't know how to deal with him. All things that 16 years together gets you to. You just flow. It's just natural. You can just read um, how the rest of your band is playing. You just are tapped in. This is something that he won't have with this hired band, for one. And two, what is this new sound? This is not a sound he's known for. This is not what made him famous. This is not a place that made him famous. I would assume that the people from Vegas heard about him in New Orleans and see that he's marketable and wanted him, but I, I'm really suspicious about this new sound. And I don't think that even as an accomplished saxophonist and clarinetist, that he would be able to transition and be as successful in Vegas, changing his complete style around after at least 16 years. But that's just me. Anyway, so we find out that their final performance as a band, as the Ben Coleman Quartet, I guess, is going to be at a barn. So it's the Bourbon Street Barn, and it's fitted out to do live performances. It's literally a barn that has folding chairs and a setup and electricity, clearly. But it's a really cool, like, down-home type space. Just seems like the perfect atmosphere for this performance. It really seems like a really cool place. Um, and we, this is when we meet, when we get to the barn, we meet Callie, who's Ben's wife and the piano player. We see how she uh, is careful and caring with Eddie. She's respectful of whatever limitations he may have uh, of his naivete. That's what I'll, I'll call it. I'll, I'll refer to it as that, his naivete. She's very respectful of him. She, and I will say everybody treats Eddie the same as everyone else. They don't treat him differently, which I think is really great for um, a show in the 1980s when we really weren't talking about uh, people with special needs like that. So with special needs or who are 
who were autistic before we knew what autism was, but everyone treated him the same as everyone else. And I really, I really, that was good to see. So we also see Ubi and we learn that he plays the bass. We see Jimmy again and he's playing trombone and we see Heck on the drums. Now, we also find out that Callie knows about Lisa, that is the, the harlot from uh, Les Poulets Rouge. So she's like, yeah, she's not the first and she won't be the last. I'm not sweating it, you know, it's fine. But Eddie is having a really difficult time because he loves Ben. Ben has never done him wrong, which we learn has never done him wrong. Well, that's subject to interpretation, but, and he also loves Callie and he doesn't understand and he knows Ben loves Callie, right? So he doesn't understand why Ben would be out and about with all these other women knowing that it's hurting Callie. So whereas he is friends and loves both of them, um, it, he's really struggling because he does not understand. He's not the only one. I'm like, Ben is trash for doing that, you know? Uh, but Eddie is in a really awkward position. And now he brings Callie a rose. And I think he loves her as a friend. Like, I didn't take this as he wanted to be in a relationship, in a romantic relationship with her. I didn't take it like that. But just that he appreciates her and wants her to know that um, he loves her um, as a friend. That's what I got. Maybe I missed it. Maybe he was trying to make a play. But <laughs> I, I didn't see it as that. So... We then are in the hallway with Jonathan and Jessica. They're backstage uh, walking around to get to the front where the seating is. Jonathan's giving her a little whirl around because they're going to be taping the performance live for Jonathan's show. Backstage, we overhear an argument and we find out it's between Ben and Aaron Kramer. Aaron Kramer is Ben's agent. So we find out that Ben is firing Aaron. He's not going with him to Vegas. He's basically dropping everybody who has helped him get to where he is to start fresh in Vegas. So we then see Ben and Callie interact. And it's clear that Ben it's clear that Callie knows where the bodies are buried. Now, they didn't murder anybody that I know of and hide the body, but you know what I mean. Uh, she knows secrets that are damning enough that Ben cannot leave. He can't drop Callie. So that's very clear in this scene. So then we finally get to the performance and it is amazing. There is nothing like good live New Orleans jazz. Now, clearly it was on, <laughs> clearly I was watching it on TV, right? But I have seen, I have been to New Orleans and I have seen live bands. It, amazing, amazing. And also Ben completes the set with 
a nod to his mentor who has passed on leaving him a clarinet, a Miss Emma, uh, just like B.B. Um, King has his guitar, Lucille. Ben has, Ben's mentor had Miss Emma. And playing clarinet in a jazz band is a skill. It is a certain sound that needs to be accomplished. Ben is playing the clarinet, Miss Emma, and suddenly he starts to get a bit choked up and then he falls out. He dies super quickly. And this is all caught on tape, just from the beginning of this concert to this man falling out and being declared dead is all on tape for Jonathan's show. Thankfully, it wasn't aired live. Ben is laid out on the ground. Everyone runs. This guy comes up and says he's a doctor and that Ben is dead. He checks his pulse. He says Ben is dead. So they obviously call the police. While the police are starting to come in, Jonathan goes up to Jessica and says, this looks like something out of one of your books. To which she says, as a matter of fact, it is. Wait a second. Okay. So apparently Jessica recognizes the that this is a poisoning, for one. And two, that she knows exactly what type of poison was used because of a book that she researched and wrote, Murder on the Amazon. So Jessica is Johnny on the spot. Okay, this is the quickest <laughs> that we have determined a poisoning death and exactly what the poisoning is. Only Jessica Fletcher could do that. We meet Detective Lieutenant Kershaw. Now he comes in, he scopes out the scene. The doctor goes up to him and says, hey, I think it's a heart attack, but that lady over there says it's poisoning. And so, but we find out that this guy is an intern, meaning that he is fresh out of medical school. He hasn't gotten his residency yet. I don't know at what point you take your boards, but listen, you you hush up, okay? <laughs> you just say he's dead. A coroner really needs to check this out to give us the actual cause of death. Lieutenant Kershaw is at this point a douchebag. Now he does redeem himself. Okay, he does redeem himself from being a trash, disrespectful person to a much, much, much better person. So as Jessica is trying to explain why she thinks it was poisoning, Lieutenant Kershaw is like, well, you know, autopsies are expensive. And if the doctor says that it's a heart attack, then, you know, who are you? What what medical school did you go to? Where'd you get your medical, where'd you get your doctorate? So she's like, um, calm down, all right? Take it back three levels. And honestly, I'm sure that Jessica probably knows the governor of Louisiana at this time, okay? So she could have him on desk duty in a second, okay? She probably knows the congressperson as well because as we remember, Jessica was in Congress for six weeks. So she, 
She let him get away with more than I would have, but that's just me. And after saying how expensive an autopsy is, like, are you still saying it's poisoning? To which Jessica's like, in chapter 18. And so he then walks off, which is super rude and disrespectful. But like I said, he does redeem himself. But right now, trash, okay? And then the absolute worst person in all of this episode, because I think there was one other person who was on the same level of trash as Carl Turnbull, the station manager, not the station manager. I think he's one of the producers, something like that. He wants to air Ben Coleman's death on TV, to which Jonathan refuses because Jonathan is a decent human being, which clearly Carl is not. And he could actually go to hell. Like this is beyond disgusting. So Jonathan is like, I don't care. You want to cancel my show? Uh, We'll talk about that in a second. You want to cancel my show? Do it. Okay, let's go to the station manager and talk to him. We then, I believe, see Jessica and Aaron driving somewhere. I believe they're in the car, if I remember correctly. And we learn from Aaron that Ben's group just returned from South America. And he has another group in a different area of the world. And, you know, he has a few things going. has a few things going. Uh, The next scene, we're at the precinct. And they're watching. It is, is Jessica and Lieutenant Kershaw. And they're watching Ben die on the news. So the station manager apparently agreed with Turnbull. So the station manager is the trash water. So the water that is under the dumpster, while Carl is the actual bags of trash in the dumpster. Okay, they work together to make an offensive situation. Okay, (laughs) make an offensive atmosphere. Jonathan needs to leave that station because if that station manager and Carl are willing to do such a disgusting and despicable thing, he don't need to be associated with them. And in real media today, I I also really think it's disgusting to show people die on TV. Like in real like actual human beings actually dying on TV. I don't mean like we see a murder she wrote and, and things like that, but yeah. That's, please let the families grieve in peace. I think that's just way too much. Okay. Okay, back to this. So Lieutenant Kershaw is blaming Jonathan. It's like, he's the one who taped it for his show and he gave it to the news. And at at this point, Jonathan comes in and he looks like he's been sleeping under a bridge, to be honest. (laughs) Okay. And he's like, no. I quit the show. I quit my show. Like he was the host. I quit my show because the station manager overrode me and agreed to air Ben Coleman's death on TV. So he agreed with Carl. I can no longer be associated with that station. And I absolutely agree. 
So at this point, um, Lieutenant Kershaw tells us that he actually did get a copy of Murder on the Amazon. He had to wake a store, a bookstore owner up. He wasn't too happy about it, but he was able to get the book and he read it. He said, you know what? Not bad. <laughs> Thank you, I guess. So he said that the coroner called and said it was a heart attack. But then after he described what happened in chapter 18, I guess with signs and symptoms, he, the coroner agreed that it was in fact the same and therefore this type of poisoning, which results in a heart attack. So Jessica was proven uh, correct. Exactly. Because of that, I don't hate Lieutenant Kershaw. I don't love him, but I have respect for him now that he actually did read the book and he did follow up with the coroner to confirm and didn't just say, ha, I you know, I read the book, but, you know, the coroner said that it was a heart attack. So that's that on that. He did not. He followed up and gave the signs and symptoms from the book and was able to prove Jessica's point. So I do respect and appreciate that. We also, in this scene, we find out that Lieutenant Kershaw really has it out or had it out for Ben because um, in this scene, we find out from Lieutenant Kershaw that according to the coroner's report, Ben had a lot of drugs in his system. Now, side note, toxicology does not come back that quickly. We find out that Lieutenant Kershaw has tangled with Ben Coleman before. We find out that the police believe that Aaron Kramer is smuggling stuff. We don't know. The police think it's drugs through his bands. So they tour all over the world and they believe and customs believe that they're smuggling, but they have not been able to catch them as of this point. Lieutenant Kershaw is not surprised that Ben would be associated with a smuggler because of their history. He then tells us a story that 14 years ago, he had Ben, his brother, and Eddie. I think Eddie was the third person. No, it wasn't. I don't think it was Eddie. It was three people. It was Ben, his brother, and someone else. I don't think he named Eddie as the third person. But he said he had them dead to right for a liquor store robbery. I believe it's a gunpoint liquor store robbery. But Callie, who was Ben's girlfriend at the time, 14 years ago, gave him an alibi and they could not break the alibi. So they couldn't go forward on charges. So Lieutenant Kershaw has had his eye out on Ben since then, trying to get him either for that or whatever other shady business he was doing in thereafter. He tells us about Ben's brother. Ben's brother, who was with him during this liquor store robbery, died in a street fight a couple of years after the liquor store robbery. So clearly 
his brother was still living the street life. But as we know, Ben has been part of this band for 16 years. So two years into it. Now, maybe that third person was one of his other band members. I don't know. But then he couldn't drop them because they would have known that they did that robbery together. So probably not. But he was two years into this band, probably not making any money yet. No one knew them. They were young. Because, side note, Lieutenant Kershaw says that at the time, 14 years ago, they were some punk kids. Now, my question is, how old are these people now? If they were punk kids, that, that sounds like 16 to me, which would mean they were 30. And there is no way that you can convince me that these people, that Ben, Callie, and Eddie are 30 years old. There is no way in this world that they are less than 43. Okay. <laughs> there is no way that they are 30 years old. Okay. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Okay. So their time, he's referring to them as, well, as Ben, his brother, and whoever else was running with him as punk kids. 14 years ago, yeah, no, that, I don't know who wrote that, but they did not calculate their ages correctly because there, there is no way, no way that they are 30. No way. Anyway, so now we know since Callie gave an alibi to Ben, his brother, and the third member of the gang that she holds that over Ben. She lied to the police. She lied to the courts and whoever else asked her. She lied to them for Ben and she stuck to it. And she stuck to it for all of these years. So he could not drop her like he dropped everybody else. She had information that he could not let get out. So the next scene, we're at the studio and we see that they're watching the video uh, of Ben, the concert and Ben dying. And we see now the audience saw the first time around that Callie hid the coffee cup. They believe since they could not find it, although there was a condensation ring on the piano where it was, they, the police believe that that's where the poison was they scraped gum and they were checking <laughs> they were checking every piece of gum to see if the piece that he was chewing had the poison in it um when they're watching this at the studio lieutenant kershaw jonathan jessica and attack they jessica points out that callie drank from that coffee cup as well soon after ben did so clearly it could not have had the poison. I believe it was Jonathan who said, well, could she have been faking it? And they, it's like, no, I don't think so. I don't think that's where the poison was. At this point, uh, trash bag Turnbull comes in and says to Jonathan, 
you're banned from here. You don't work here anymore. What makes you think that you can come in here and use that equipment? And then he looks just his eyes open a little bit wider so he can see who else is in the room and sees Lieutenant Kershaw who's like how what in the world how dare you okay who do you think you are so he his tune changed quickly that one look Lieutenant Kershaw did not have to say a thing but the look on his face told trash bag Turnbull to pump his brakes okay full stop which he did. He said, oh, oh, well, he was you know, we like to assist the police, you know. Uh, uh, hey, hey, hey. So at that point, Jessica's like, yeah, Mr. Trashback Turnbull. Um, I, I just wanted to say, like, I'm in a, I'm, it, I'm having a bit of a problem because I'm supposed to do my interview on Jonathan's show, but he doesn't have a show anymore. So I guess I'm going to have to go to your competitor. And so at that point, Carl's like, oh, we can work something out. Sorry, trash bag Turnbull said, oh, we can work something out. I'm sure, you know, let's not be harsh, whatever, whatever. Because she reveals that, oh, well, I have figured out who murdered Ben Coleman. And I was going to tell uh, during my interview, I was going to explain who it was and how I figured it out. But... I'm only going to tell Jonathan. And since he does not have a show, ah, yeah, you see my problem? So I guess I'll have to go to your competitor, Jonathan and I, with my story. Okay, have a nice day. Goodbye. It's like, yes, Jessica, yes. You know what? You know your worth. And he is trash. And so as they're walking out, two things one, she's like, I don't know yet. <laughs> he was just so insufferable. I had to say something like, good for you. But we know by the time the show goes on that you'll know who did it. It's fine. We know. The second thing is, if you notice, every there are several posters. There's two, at least two that we can see in this scene. And there were others earlier, all of which are for New Orleans Today with Jonathan's picture on it. Okay, it seems like that is the only show that this station actually has. And I don't know how they got away with letting Jonathan quit when he appears to be their bread and butter. There is no other promo posters of anybody else. Okay, it's only Jonathan and New Orleans today. So I am sure that the station owners would in real life fire the station manager and fire Trash Bag Turnbull immediately and try all their best to get Jonathan back because the station manager is an idiot and Trash Bag Turnbull is a trash bag full of trash. So yeah, they would have immediately been terminated as soon as the station owner was notified that Jonathan had quit, okay? Because I'm sure, I'm sure they told him, oh, he's on vacation. You know, this was a lot for him. He, you know, um, we're going to take a few days. We're going to, whatever. We're not going to air the show this week in honor of Ben Coleman, whatever. 
lie they gave, but in real life, they would have been immediately terminated as soon as Jonathan picked up the phone to the station owner and said, hey, I quit because of these two trash people that these two these two bags of trash that you have running your studio. So yeah, figure that out. <laughs> anyway, so we, then the next scene, we're at the hotel. We're at Jessica's hotel and we find out that Ben didn't get Callie a plane ticket. So we find out that he got a ticket for this Lisa person who was the harlot from earlier, Eddie and himself. Those were the only three tickets to Vegas that he bought. So now this should have been a clue to me, but I honestly didn't realize it was a clue until going over my notes now. Like I watched the entire episode I know how it ends. I know the murderer and his or her motive. But this, which makes a good motive for Callie to have murdered Ben, I did not realize the weight of this information. Jessica runs out of the hotel and Lafayette is standing next to his taxi outside her hotel. Dude, really? <laughs> Like, okay, I know Jessica is famous. Okay, I know she's famous, but she is not the only famous person in New Orleans. <laughs> he want to give her that tour for real. <laughs> and I hope she does take it. I hope that after all of this is done, that she actually took Lafayette's tour because I'm telling you, I'm sure it was like the best. And you know, he knows a bunch of people. So you could probably get, you know, some specialty off the menu stuff too. Oh, exciting. The next scene, we're at a club and it's an audition for Jimmy, Ubi, and Hack. And they sound great. Like they, they sound great. The three of them, just the three of them. And one is on a xylophone. Like, are you serious? A xylophone and y'all out here sounding this beautiful? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Skill. He's leaving this skilled band for some nonsense in Vegas. Well, I guess he ain't because he is a dead. So <laughs> guess they had the last laugh. Well, the last giggle because they don't have a job now. So mm, not great for them either. We learned from the group that Aaron isn't a good businessman. Now he is a friendly and nice enough person, but he is the worst businessman. And so it seems to me that he got lucky with Ben. He was talented and he was marketable because Aaron has a lot of different bands and we'll find out how he's staying afloat. But the only band that he has that has been successful is Ben Coleman's band. And he was about to lose that. He was about to lose the namesake of that band, the marketable person, the face of the band, he was about to lose. And that was really what was the, that was the only thing keeping him legitimate. Okay, I'll say that. So Jessica then leaves after speaking with Jimmy, with Jimmy, Ubi, and Heck. And 
Of course, Lafayette is waiting outside for her because he had dropped her there. And Aaron pulls up. And it's clear that Lafayette knows Aaron. Aaron does not know Lafayette. But again, Lafayette knows a lot of people and he probably knows a lot of musicians that Aaron represented and is not doing what he's supposed to do. Lafayette probably also knows what Aaron is doing to keep afloat with all of these groups that he is unable to properly um, be an agent to and manage. So Lafayette is a bit aggressive. I'm like, yes, you protect Jessica. (laughs) He's like, she said she don't want to go with you. He's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. He's like, I'll make sure it's okay. And he literally tails them in his taxi. I love Lafayette. Like the actual actor is hilarious, hilarious, hilarious. Um, And we do see him again in, I think he's also a taxi driver in that, (laughs) in that episode. Is it when she, oh, it might even be when she returns to New Orleans. Oh, I I can't remember offhand, but we do see him again. But the actor is super funny. But in this role, I I love him. He was the perfect person to play this. And this is the perfect role to bounce off of Jessica. I'm sure she had a blast working with him too. Anyway, so while we're in the car, so we now are in the car Aaron and Jessica with Lafayette tailing close behind to make sure there's no funny business. And we find out that Jessica knows that Aaron has been smuggling through his music, through his artist. And Aaron admits it. He says that he's not a good businessman and that he was smuggling to support his artist. He was not smuggling drugs. Now we find out later at least one thing that they were smuggling, but he says, I promise you it was not drugs. However, Ben was also smuggling extra stuff on the low. He didn't say that, I'm saying that, but he, (laughs) Ben was also smuggling separate and apart from Aaron's operation. And Aaron was like, he's threatening my operation because if he's caught, everything's going to fall. And because he's real sloppy with it, I'm guessing, because he is clearly taking drugs, according to the toxicology that came back in like two days. Um, No, that came back in 24 hours. That's on some CSI TV magic. (laughs) Especially in 1985. Yeah. Anyway, so Aaron was arguing with Ben about that. And then in addition, got fired because Ben was now going to Vegas. And again, Ben Coleman was, his band as a whole, was the only thing keeping Aaron legitimate on the surface while he was smuggling on the the back end in order to make sure his artist ate and had gas money and could support their families because he wasn't getting them jobs that paid 
well enough to support them, even though they were extremely talented. So the next scene, we are back at, I believe this is the Bourbon Street barn again. And Ben is lying in state because he is super famous in New Orleans. So they have him lying in state with a band, not his band, a completely different band playing. And like I said, or if I didn't say it before, New Orleans has a large number of extremely talented musicians. And this is just a small sample. Now, I don't know if all of them were from New Orleans. I don't know if they went down there during casting and got the local musicians, but they easily could have done that. Easily could have done that. So we have, at the end of it, we have Eddie and Callie coming in as the last to view the body, his wife and his best friend. And Eddie has Miss Emma, the clarinet from his mentor. And clearly Eddie is having a really, really hard time with this. It's really bad because he was already struggling about Ben and Callie's relationship and how he felt about Ben and how he felt about Callie and how Ben was treating Callie. We then soon find another layer to this about why he was struggling so much earlier on in the episode. So he puts the clarinet, uh, Miss Emma, with Ben in the casket because he wants him to be buried with her. And at this point, my God, Lieutenant Kershaw, who I was liking before, but he's slipping into old habits right here now. He's back on the list, the hit list, okay? <laughs> He comes in and he says, we figured out who the murderer is. We figured out how it was done. He says it, um, it was the clarinet, uh, the reed on the clarinet. And he takes it out of the casket. Now, Eddie starts to fight back because he's like, no, no one's supposed to touch it. Ben doesn't want anybody to touch it. His, his mentor gave it to him. He, he needs to be buried with Miss Emma. No one's supposed to touch it. He told me never let anyone touch it. So he's really like at 100. He was already emotionally distraught. Now he is at 100 and he is ready. He is ready to fight. Now, honestly and truly, he really could have took all them officers, to be honest. To be honest. My thing is, Lieutenant Kershaw could have waited until they closed the casket. Okay, they're at a whole wake. Okay, this is the final viewing before they close the casket and then take him, you know, the funeral home picks him up to take him to the cemetery for services the next day. Like, are you serious that you didn't even have enough respect for the family to, you know, wait until they finish viewing him for the last time? And you're talking about coming in here and you're picking up the clarinet um, Eddie's going off. Callie is just um, numb. Lieutenant Kershaw said Aaron, who's been arrested for the smuggling, is also being arrested for Ben's murder with the murder weapon being the reed soaked in poison. So just so disrespectful. Like there is literally a 
a full casket and a whole wake getting ready to end and you couldn't wait 10 minutes? Disgusting. Lieutenant Kershaw is right about the clarinet reed being the weapon used, but he is wrong that Aaron is the murderer. We learn also, Lieutenant Kershaw tells Jessica that one of Aaron's group members was caught with weed. And at that point, they decided to do, TSA decided to do a luggage check in which they found tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in diamonds. So they were smuggling precious jewels. So it might've all been diamonds. It could have been other precious jewels, but it was not drugs. And the band all of which I believe were caught with these diamonds, they snitched on Aaron in a second. They said it was his plan. It was his setup. We've been doing this under his direction. He knew about it. He set everything up. So Aaron was going, he was going to federal prison off of that. <laughs> that is federal. You talking international? You going to federal prison for a long time. He ain't never going to see the light of day. Now, this is exactly what Aaron feared would happen with Ben because Ben was doing his own smuggling on the side and he thought that Ben would be caught with his own smuggled goods. They would then check everybody's bags that were associated with the band and find the jewels that they were smuggling too. So Aaron's worst fears came to fruition just through a different band of his. Now they go and the lieutenant has the read analyzed for drugs and he finds the lab comes back that it's clean. It's completely clean. Now, now Lieutenant Kershaw, reads are disposable. Okay, disposable. So why would the murder weapon read still be on the clarinet? Okay, why would it be on the clarinet? The clarinet was not recovered the day of the homicide or the heart attack, which wasn't determined to be a homicide until the next day. Um, so yeah, of course it's gone. Duh. <laughs> Come on now. Come on, come on now. And so the next scene, we're at the studio with Jonathan, Jessica, and trash bag Turnbull. Jessica is supposed to do her interview today. And trash bag Turnbull says, oh, I hope you have your analysis ready and your, you know, everything together to go on today. And she honestly like rolls her eyes and continues watching the screen, right? <laughs> And it's a commercial for a teeth, for a dentures cleaning solution. And they're talking about black coffee staining your teeth. Or actually, I think it's a blueberries. So I think it might've said coffee and blueberries. I don't remember, but staining your teeth. So she has an epiphany. She runs out of the studio. They're like, wait, hey, 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 
hey, okay, where is she going? And she walks outside the studio and she goes to wave down a taxi and Lafayette comes from down the street. Okay, Lafayette, at your service. Now, this was before people had, you know, smartphones where you could put a GPS situation, but he knew where she was at all times. Okay, he was Johnny on the spot. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I love Lafayette. One of my faves. Now, she asked him to take her to St. Charles Cemetery. And he's like, that place is really dead. Seriously, Lafayette, I'm going to let you get away with that one. I will let you get away with that. Okay. (laughs) Now, side note, for those of you who don't know, in New Orleans and other places, other areas in Louisiana, in the state, they do not bury people underground because the water table underneath the ground is too high. So they build like a crypt, I guess you would say. I don't know what you want to call it, but above ground. So not everybody goes into a mausoleum, but they have these specially fitted out concrete um, boxes above ground that the casket goes into and they're beautiful and it has headstones and everything like that but it is extremely rare for someone to be buried underground in New Orleans and most parts of Louisiana at least those by the Mississippi River now Okay, so I don't know what cemetery they're actually taping that at, but the actual St. Charles Cemetery, because I did look this up online, they have above ground tombs. Like they they have these above ground um, boxes, cement boxes that are beautifully carved and, and things like that. It's, it's, it's very well done that the caskets go in. They're not underground. So, yeah, that was a fail on their part because even if there is a part of St. Charles Cemetery where people are underground, that that's not the New Orleans that people know. That's not the cemeteries, type of cemetery that New Orleans is known for. Um, They didn't, I can't remember if they had a band at the cemetery because that's also a well-known tradition in New Orleans having and especially because he was a band leader and a well-known musician that they would have had basically it's a parade walking the deceased in usually in a carriage in the um, coffin in the carriage down the street with a live band playing out front so They should have done that. Like, honestly, they didn't even have to show the cemetery. (laughs) They needed to show the cemetery scene for this reason. I'll get to in a minute. But definitely the parade um, to the cemetery with the live band up front, that they should have done. Now, maybe they had enough extras in there that they could have done it. Okay, seeing the line of people who were leaving the cemetery... They definitely could have put that together. Maybe they did and it got cut out. I don't know, but that is definitely a New Orleans staple. 
especially for someone as famous as Ben Coleman, as we're led to believe Ben Coleman was. So now that I got that out, okay. So the only two left at the casket before it gets lowered into the ground, clearly not in Louisiana, uh, or clearly at least not in New Orleans or anywhere near New Orleans, okay? <laughs> that it's Callie and Eddie. And clearly Jessica is not dressed for a funeral, but Callie thanks her for coming to pay her respects. Eddie says in this conversation now, Jessica knows what happened and Eddie doesn't, doesn't realize he's admitting to the murder. And what I mean is he says, you know, um, if Lieutenant Kershaw shouldn't have taken Miss Emma, like no one was supposed to touch it. I'm the only other person who touches it. You know, he shouldn't have done that. Um, Ben wanted to be buried with her and I was the only one who had access to it basically is what he was admitting, meaning that he had to be the person who put the poison laced reed on the clarinet because he was the only one that Ben would allow to get that close. And he's the only one that he, Eddie, would allow to get that close after Ben specifically told him not to let anyone else touch it. Jessica states that Callie's the one who took the coffee cup, knowing that the poison wasn't in there, but she wanted to misdirect the investigation because she immediately knew what happened and that Eddie was the one who put the poisoned reed onto the clarinet that she wanted to dispose of the coffee cup so they would think that the poison was in the coffee. However, she forgot the fact that she also drank out of the coffee cup and it was caught on camera. So it really was, it was not helpful, although at the time she thought it would work. And so Jessica says that they tested the read and it didn't have anything on it. So Eddie was like, but that's a good thing then. It wasn't the read that poisoned him. She said, no, there were no stain. There was nothing on it. He had drank black coffee right before he started playing the clarinet, but there was no stain from the black coffee. Clearly the reed had to have been changed after Ben died. And since the only person who had access to it before the wake was Eddie, it had to be Eddie who put the poisoned reed on there and then disposed of it and put a new reed onto the clarinet. At this point, Eddie explains why he did it. He says that some years ago they got into some trouble, which is the, the robbery of the liquor store that Lieutenant Kershaw had told us about. And that that Callie lied to the police about their alibi. She saved them. And so Ben was indebted to Callie. But because he wanted to start fresh, 
in Vegas with only Eddie as the, Eddie was going to be the only person from his past that he was bringing with him to Vegas, that he had to kill, Ben had to kill Callie because that's the only way he could ensure that she would never uh, admit to lying about the alibi for the armed robbery 14 years ago. So he told Eddie about this. He told Eddie that he had stolen the poison and was smuggling it back to the United States. And that's what he was going to use to kill Callie. Eddie could not let that happen. He tried to dissuade Ben, who was dead set, for lack of a better word, on killing Callie. He told Callie, who did not believe him, which is sad. It's really sad because Eddie's not the type of person who looks, he's not the type of person who would make up a story or a lie. Um, I think she may have thought he was saying that because he, Eddie, wanted her to drop Ben and start a relationship with him. I think that's what she thought, that he was making up the story so that she would break up with Ben so Ben didn't have to do it and that they could get together. That's my guess as to why she didn't believe him. That's the only reason that would make sense, why she would think that he would lie. So once both of them, once Ben refused to forget about the plan and not kill Callie, and Callie didn't believe Eddie, Eddie had to do something. He said, I could not let him kill Callie because clearly he, I think he loved her more in the sense that although Ben never did him wrong, technically, I guess he was never mean to him, but he definitely got you mixed up in an armed robbery. So, okay, so he's not that great of a person, but because Callie stood by and ignore, I guess, or accept Ben's cheating and his outward disrespect for her and quietly take it and deal with it, that Eddie's allegiance was stronger with her because she was the innocent in this relationship. Ben was the one who was cheating. Ben was the one who was going to try to murder her. So between the two, his allegiance to Callie, the innocent person in this, the one who risked her freedom to lie and um, lie about an alibi for Ben, his brother, and Eddie. Um, yeah, she was the innocent in this one. She was the one who suffered the most while Ben was living his absolute best life. Yeah, in in the world of fairness, in, in terms of fairness, it makes sense that Ben was the one who had to go. You were going to murder your wife. You already embarrassed her for 14 years just out in these streets with random women. And she just went on. She played the piano and, you know, she was highbrow and dressed nice and was uh, just a beautiful, elegant woman at your side and you out here doing whatever, whatever. So yeah, between the two, Ben was the one who had to die. And 
he he's lucky it was a fact fast he was lucky it was a fast acting poison because somebody else would have made him suffer just saying anyway so at this point um and Kelly put up with um Ben's drug and alcohol abuse as well as his womanizing so yeah she was just embarrassed all in these New Orleans streets and then he was gonna dump her not even dump her murder her so that he could go on about his life oh how dare he I wish she would have killed him to be honest to be honest she would have had every right to have been fed up okay <laughs> like this is it and you know I would have had a slow acting poison. But you know what? That's not right. Violence is not right. But I wouldn't have been mad at that. So Eddie is just bawling. He is just crying. He is broken at this point. And Callie is numb. Okay? She is numb. She's just looking at the casket. She doesn't even put her arm around Eddie doesn't give him solace or compassion or anything. Now, I'm thinking that maybe she is just like, did I make a mistake? Well, she might be in shock. I think she's in shock at the fact that Ben was trying to murder her. I think that she felt bad for not having believed Eddie and which led to Eddie killing Ben to save her. I think this was a lot for her to take in. And that's why she was just standing there stone faced, not saying anything, just kind of trying to process it. Uh, but it still was sad that Eddie is crying, like literally crying and bawling from the realization of what he had to do. And she doesn't even like pat him on the shoulder or like, or pull him closer so he can actually cry on her shoulder. Like he is probably about an inch away from her shoulder, but he, I think he's reading her body language enough to not actually like cry on her shoulder. He's waiting for her response to which she gives none. That's how the scene ends. And that's how the episode ends with him crying over her shoulder and her standing stone still, blank face, completely numb. So that's deep. But as an aside, before we close this episode all the way out, in reality, with regard to the whole alibi and Ben being concerned if Callie admitted that she lied, in reality, the statute of limitation had probably already passed. It was probably too long after the crime had been committed for anyone to have been prosecuted for it unless someone died during the robbery. We don't hear anything of that. We do hear there were guns, but we don't hear that someone was killed during the robbery. If there was, most states have a have no statute of limitations 
on murder. So it could be 35 years down the line, just like the Golden State Killer, like 30, 40 years down the line, they can still prosecute those crimes because there's no statute of limitations, meaning that there is no legally set amount of time in which a person must be charged with a crime. If they're not within that period of time, they can never be uh, charged with those crimes. So 14 years, I'm thinking that for an armed robbery, I'm thinking that it's far past the uh, legal time limit in which to charge these people, for one. For two, even if it was within the statute of limitations, meaning let's say they had, the government had 20 years to charge people for this liquor store arrest, right? It's only been 14 years. So they would have six more years in which to file charges. Even if that were true, let's say, and Callie decided to go to Lieutenant Kershaw and say, hey, I lied about them being at my house. Okay, I lied because I was scared. I lied because I loved him. I lied because um, I didn't want him to get in trouble. I lied because he told me he was going to change and I believed him and wanted to give him a chance. Whatever. Now, Callie could face arrest for lying to the police. But again, that charge is probably so old <laughs> that they wouldn't be able to charge her with it. But also, I highly doubt that Kershaw would have arrested Callie, who we find out her real name is Carol, and Ben is the one who called her Callie, not for nothing, Callie is a beautiful name, okay? Beautiful name. So, you know, kudos to him for that. That and his skill on um, the saxophone and clarinet. Okay, that's it, that's it. Those are the only <laughs> three things that I will applaud Ben Coleman for. That's it, that's it. His coming up with the name Callie for Carol his girlfriend then wife and his skill his character skill I don't know about the actor the character skill on the clarinet and the saxophone that's it period so again I doubt I think the lieutenant wanted to arrest Ben so much that he would have made whatever deal he needed to make with Callie which surely would not have uh, included criminal charges. So although this was hanging over Ben, Callie, and Eddie's head, this armed liquor store robbery from 14 years ago, in reality, it wasn't as serious as they made it out to seem. Like he had to murder Callie in order to never be arrested for this liquor store robbery. In reality, it wasn't that serious, okay? But the important thing is they believed it was that serious. 
So a lot of times it comes down to what does the person doing the action believe as opposed to what is reality. So unfortunately for Ben, he did not uh, anonymously inquire about uh, the statute of limitations or anything like that. (laughs) Then he wouldn't have had to threaten to kill Callie um, or he wouldn't have to have smuggled in drugs in anticipation of murdering his wife, he would have just been able to dump her like he dumped the band and Aaron Kramer and went on with life, you know, to never find success because he definitely wouldn't have been successful in Vegas because he's a horrible person. So of course he can't be successful um, after dropping all these people and, and doing an embarrassing Cali just for 14 years. No, he was never going to find success in Vegas. They would have eaten him up and spit him out. But you know what? That's just my personal opinion. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. So that's that on that. Another really good episode. And I love that it was in New Orleans. I I doubt that they actually filmed it in New Orleans, (laughs) though. Uh, Just got a feeling maybe some B-roll that they put in. But... New Orleans is beautiful. Even after Hurricane Katrina, they did have an amazing comeback and they continue to come back. I wish they had actually gotten more footage in New Orleans and had actually gone to a had actually gone to St. Charles Cemetery. If they actually did, which I doubt. I think they were behind a in front of a green screen to be honest. But if they did at least show the side where they have the above ground in in um, the above ground tombs, which is quintessential New Orleans. So that would have been nice to see. But otherwise, a good episode. We did get to hear some really great New Orleans jazz, which is always nice to hear. But next week, we will be talking about My Johnny Lies Over the Ocean. Cannot wait to tell you guys about that episode. So if you want early access to the next episode, go over and sign up for my Patreon, The Fletcher Files on Patreon, or... If you want, you can meet me right back here next Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the next episode. Also, a special treat, and I'll be making an additional announcement. Over on Patreon, I have a review of a Christmas mystery. Yes, a Christmas mystery. My least favorite type of movie and my most favorite type of movie get together and make a pretty good movie okay so that is over on my patreon right now so go over there and sign up and later this month on the 15th i will be doing a book review finally i know for murder she wrote the Murder, She Wrote book, Gin and Daggers, okay? I promise on January 15th, 2021, 
it will be up on Patreon. And at the end of this month, I will be doing a review of the Martha's Vineyard Mysteries on Hallmark Movie and Mysteries channel, which is back to its namesake type of movies, finally. (laughs) Earlier than expected, pleasant surprise. So I will be doing the first of those three movies at the end of this month on January 31st, 2021. All of which is over on Patreon. So I'll see you guys over on Patreon or right here next week. Okay, have a great week, guys. Bye.